Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't have that Hello and welcome to Give Me Those Star Wars, the official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and later on this inaugural episode, I'll be joined by one of the founders of the Fire and Water Network, Rob Kelly. But before I welcome Rob, I want to welcome you, my wonderful listeners, and thank you for trying out this new podcast, whether you're a first-time listener or an old familiar friend. Now, you might know that I used to host a Star Wars podcast called Dead Bothan Spies. I started it in January of 2015 as hype for the film Star Wars The Force Awakens was starting to build. I enjoyed that show immensely, and I am proud of every single episode I produced, but... It was my first venture into podcasting, and I'm not sure I ever found a clear vision for the show. Couple that with the esoteric title, Dad, Both, and Spies, which could be funny if you get the reference, but could also be considered unintentionally ambiguous or deliberately misleading, and either way was difficult to find on a search engine unless you knew exactly what you were looking for. So, when Rob Kelly and the Irredeemable Shag invited me to join the Fire and Water Network, I saw it as an opportunity to make some much-needed, much-desired changes to the show. Reformatting and rebranding were essential. Just as the sinister First Order rose from the ashes of the evil Galactic Empire, Give Me Those Star Wars has risen from the charred corpses of those dead Bothan spies. If you're a completely brand new listener who never heard an episode of Dead Boffin Spies, don't worry about it. You don't need to hear that old show, even though it is still available on iTunes. Give Me Those Star Wars is not a continuation of an old podcast. This isn't Dead Boffin Spies Season 2. It's a whole new show with new content, new format, mostly new topics, and a lot of new guests. And if I do continue topics that I started in the other show, I'll give you all the background you need to understand what came before. Well now, we're already running longer than the standard opening crawl, so let's welcome our guest, make the jump to light speed, and get on with the show. Alright, my guest this episode is the host of the Film and Water podcast, the co-host of the Fire and Water podcast, the Power Records podcast, and Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. It's Mr. Rob Kelly. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you, Ryan. I'm very honored to be the first guest on this uh, this new show. As well you should be. No, <laughs> no seriously, the, the honor is all mine. I was happy to have you on this first show. Uh, I, we got to mention that this does feel a little bit repetitive to me because you and I have talked about Star Wars on one podcast or another like seven or eight times now. <laughs> That's all? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but, so certainly we are pretty familiar with each other's Star Wars history. But it's the first episode of a brand new show. Let's make it as new listener friendly as we can. Tell us, how did you become a Star Wars fan? Well, I was there at the beginning. I saw it in in May of 1977 when I was a wee lad, and the, I, you know, it, it just changed my life. And they said I have, you know, childhood memories can be hazy, obviously, mm-hmm. especially when it's as far away as, as it is for me. But like you, I, you know, if I look in my family photo albums, there's you know physical evidence because all the pictures of me from age you know three through six 
it's all superheroes, superheroes, superheroes. And then as soon as you see the first photo of me post May 1977, Star Wars is in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got Star Wars T-shirts. I've got I'm wearing nothing but Star Wars Halloween costumes. The Christmas photos are me uh, is me uh, with my 12 inch Chewy doll and my Death Star playset. My birthday is the Tie Fighter. You could just see that. Boom! This you know, hey, this this kid just took to it immediately, and I did. Uh, I had the. Um, I mean, we'll get into it shortly, but I got the, uh, I had the, uh, the empty box, mm-hmm. you know, thing for Christmas. I mean, I just, I was, I am of the original Star Wars generation. I jumped into it up to my neck and stayed there pretty much through, you know, the prequels and then like a lot of curmudgeons my age put it aside because it was just like, oh, that that's what Star Wars is? Okay, never mind. And then it got reignited all over again uh, at the Disney announcement. Yeah, I, I would say if we're going with the the original Star Wars generation, uh, I maybe got into that by the skin of my teeth. In that the first movie I remember seeing in the theater was Return of the Jedi, when it was re-released, maybe in 1985 or 1986. I saw it; it blew my mind. But at the same time, I had seen Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back on video right around the same time. So for me. The movies weren't separate things. They were always just together. That, that Star right, Wars trilogy, right. it, was, it was one big story, one idea that, that I lived with. And certainly the movies and the toys were a big part of my childhood. And then in the 90s, when there was a resurgence of interest in the property after like a decade had gone by with the expanded universe material and books and comics, um, I started seeking out old versions of the toys that we had long since gotten rid of. And I, I went through the same pains as you did when they came out with the prequel movies. I tried to convince myself that they had some value and continued to get burned. <laughs> um, and by 2005, was that when? Was that That's when the, when the Sith was at. Yeah. yeah. Uh, after I saw that one, I was like, I think I'm done being a Star Wars fan. I just don't think this property is for me anymore. It has nothing for me. Um, yeah, you can you can look back and see how gradual it was with me because I saw Phantom Menace in the theater nine mm-hmm. times, and I saw Clones three times, and then Sith one time. So you can see that I just frequently just got like, okay, never mind. You know, was, yeah, yeah I, I was the same way. I saw Phantom Menace multiple times in the theater. Probably saw Attack of the Clones two or three times, and the same thing, Revenge of the Sith, once, and I even walked out in part of the movie. Oh, right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I I forced myself to go to the bathroom just because I couldn't take it. (laughs) And then, yeah, I I was certain I would never feel that way again until... The, the Disney announcement, and I was like, okay, well, they'll, they'll, they will be new Star Wars movies, but they're not going to be for me. I've just, I've grown out of that. And every piece of footage I saw during the marketing campaign and every interview, everything that J.J. Abrams or Kathleen Kennedy said about the movie, I was like, mm, that's what I would want to hear if mm-hmm, I was still a Star mm-hmm. Wars fan. And it just like kept digging its way, burrowing its way into my head. <laughs> um, it is useless to resist. <laughs> exactly. And last year, I, I started a Star Wars podcast at the beginning of 2015 to kind of prepare for the ramp up, the hype machine. Um, and now, a year later, The Force Awakens has come out. It is a real part of our lives. How many times have you seen it? Uh, I'm up to four. I hope to see it 
at least one more time. I think the days where I've seen movies nine times is, is over. Um, but uh, I want to get I want to get one more viewing in uh, before it, it shuffles out of theaters. Uh, I've seen it six times. Wow! And I might go see it again tonight. Oh my goodness! Maybe. <laughs> now, is the missus coming with you to these, or are you oh, no, no. That's friends, or you're just going by yourself because you just want to keep seeing? Oh, half the times I've seen it, I've seen it by myself because okay. I've, right. I've had the free time or nothing else to do, or I, I've even like wanted to go to see a particular scene. And I'm I'm in a weird position where my local theater is small and relatively crappy, which sucks when you want to see a big spectacle movie like Star Wars. But it's also okay because the th- tickets are relatively cheap ah, compared okay. to what they would be if you were seeing it in New York. It's like, uh, yeah, you know, if I'm going to go see a matinee, it's five bucks. Right, 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 right. So right. That's, that's not a big deal. Okay, folks, something we're going to do on every episode of this podcast is a segment about Star Wars current events. That includes news about upcoming movies, expanded universe material, including books and comics, television series like Rebels, or other news like the development of the Star Wars land expansion at Walt Disney theme parks. I'm certainly not planning to cover everything. That would be an entire podcast in itself. I'll be cherry-picking the stories I find interesting. But if there's something of particular interest to you that you want me to talk about, let me know. You can leave a comment on the Fire & Water Podcast Network Facebook page when these episodes update, or send me a tweet to at RyanDaily01. Now, I do want to warn everyone that when it comes to these current events segments, we may delve into some spoiler territory for upcoming Star Wars movies or books. I'll do my best to warn you in advance if we're going down that road. But if you want to be safe, you might choose to skip that segment altogether. What I will do is mark the time for that segment in the show notes for every episode, so you can just check it out how long we spent talking about new movies, and then skip on ahead to the main topic. That ought to be fairly spoiler-free. And that current event segment will begin next episode. This time, though, because it's our first episode and because The Force Awakens is the subject of Star Wars fandom, Rob and I have got to talk about it again. We shared a lot of our thoughts on episode 22 of the Film and Water podcast. You can still download that to hear our early impressions. And Rob wrote a review of the film for 13th Dimension. So the movie is out. We've seen it multiple times, as we just said. Obviously, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say if we've seen it that many times and we want to see it again, we enjoyed the movie. What are your big thoughts about it? Well, I mean, we did the review for the Film and Water podcast, or you were on that show, and then I did a a print review, not print, I did an online review for uh, 13thdimension.com, where I'm the one of maybe the, I don't know, film critic for that site. I don't know if it's official yet. But anyway, um, you know, it's funny. I completely see all the flaws that people have pointed out, and I completely understand the stuff that people don't like. But I really do love this movie. And, uh, you know, as I saw it the third and fourth time, I really went into it with a kind of like, all right, I don't want to Phantom Menace myself again here. I don't, I don't want to keep telling – because I told myself that I love Phantom Menace. You know, I mean, I really genuinely was like, no, just keep seeing Phantom Menace. And I didn't want to – I don't want to feel the same way six months from now when Force Awakens comes out you know, on DVD or whatever. Yep. I don't want to be like, oh, you idiot. You know, you did it to yourself again. So for the, the last two times I saw it, the third time I took my dad, and then the fourth time I really went into it like, okay, try and – Find the parts you don't like. Try and just see – try and be more critical. And, you know, the beats that work for me still really work. I think about the scene of Kylo Ren reaching out 
to grab the lightsaber out of the snow and it shoots past him and goes into Ray's hand mm-hmm. is to me one of the great Star Wars moments. Absolutely. And it, I, I put it up there with the great moments of the original trilogy. I don't I don't so the stuff that is weak in terms of that it so slavishly follows the the beats of the first film, uh, the fact that sort of you've got some characters that are kind of weaker analogies of other characters. I mean, Maz Kanata is sort of a less interesting Yoda, stuff like that. All those flaws are there, but it just they just don't bother me because there are flaws in the original films that I just shrug off and go, that's Star Wars, it's fine. And I also realized that kind of like with Star Trek, uh, again, by J.J. Abrams, I love that first Star Trek reboot. But I also recognized that it wasn't about much of anything other than Star Trek. It was just about being Star Trek. And to me, the best of Star Trek is about something. And I sort of like was like, well, I like the first movie. In fact, I love the first movie. I get why people have problems with it. But they can fix all that in the second film if they make the second film about something and they, they, they head it off in a more brainy direction. And they didn't do that with in, Into Darkness. I thought they went the wrong direction. And so I kind of look at that with Star Wars. It's like, you know what? Considering all the things Force, Force Awakens had to do, all the different constituencies it had to satisfy, the fact that the movie is as good as it is to me is a miracle – And if the next movie is able to say, okay, we set up the universe, we gave you what we think you wanted, now we're going to go off in our own direction because we've satisfied you, now let's do a more, let's be more original, the first film will seem so much less worrisome. But if in the second film, they repeat all the same beats of Empire then it'll be like, oh, they really are just remaking the, the original trilogy. So mm-hmm. a lot of it, I, the, the first film will, will change depending on what the second film does. But I have faith in Ryan, uh, uh, Johnson. Ryan Johnson and, and overall Kathleen Kennedy and the whole thing. I mean, when I heard that J.J. Abrams wasn't directing all three films, I was initially disappointed. I was like, oh, no, I wanted that. And now I'm like, no, 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 I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. We're going to get different visions. Right. And the first film is J.J. Abrams' vision, but now we, we there's room to grow this universe, and that's what I want. But that said, I still really love Force Awakens. I want to see it again, and I will buy it when it comes to home video. I will buy it the day it comes out because I want to see it again and again. Yeah, those are very, very similar to my thoughts. And, and the criticisms, like you said, that the plot mirrors in t- sometimes, sometimes intentionally, the story of the original Star Wars movie. At some point, I kind of had to to accept the fact that the story of this movie is for new fans, and the rest of it for the old fans is more fan service than giving us something new. It's right. more reminding the old fans what we loved about the original one. Right. right. And Here's now, the chessboard. Exactly. Here's the yeah. All that and stuff. and that's what one of my friends said when when I left the first. The first showing, and I wasn't sure how I felt about it. One of my friends reminded me. It's like, look, do you want to see the next movie? And I thought about it. I was like, oh, God, yes. I have to see the next movie. He's like, (laughs) well, what does that tell you? And I was like, you're right. If this movie had one job, it was to bring – and this certainly wasn't the only job. But it brought me as a jaded fan back into the spirit of this world, of this this franchise. And I was like, yeah, they did that. This – if if the story is limited to how it made me remember what I loved about those, then fine. But where it goes from here, the next part of the saga, now they can surprise me. Now they can do new, experimental, crazy things. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So, 
There's a reason that the first line of dialogue in the movie is this will begin to make things right. (laughs) I I, I definitely think that was a deliberate choice. What is one of the things about the movie that you really, really liked that you got so much enjoyment out of? Uh, the characters, I really, you know, I saw one friend of mine on Facebook who really tore into the movie and was complaining about that. The movie showed us like no new worlds. You know, it was like a snow planet and a desert planet and basically kind of a forest planet. And, and while that is empirically correct, uh, I wanted to sort of defend this, which is weird. This movie has made $800 million in the U S it doesn't need me to defend it, but I wanted to, cause I wanted to jump in and say, you know what? If you want to look at pretty backgrounds, buy an Art of Star Wars book. Give me characters I care about. I could care less if you show me new worlds if the characters are compelling and I want to follow them. Because if you have – you know what you have? If you have paper-thin characters and pretty visuals, you have Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. <laughs> and everybody – you know, of course, everybody loves that franchise. Um so, you know, I just felt that, like, I, while I understand that, yeah, he basically, we went to Hoth, we went to Tatooine, we went to Endor, that stuff doesn't bother me if it's people I care about. And I like Ray, I like Poe, I like Finn, and I, not like, but I am interested in following <laughs> Kylo Ren. So that was the main job. Lucas had three movies to give us sort of new characters, and he couldn't do it, but they did it here. So, you know, whatever. New World's fine, whatever. The characters, especially Ray. Ray is the character, and the actress is that is the linchpin of this, and they did a tremendous job. I agree, and even I mean, you're right. I mean, they can show us some fantastical alien backgrounds that we wouldn't recognize on Earth, but then it loses a little bit of that real lived-in quality. I mean, I remember in one of the, I think it was in Revenge of the Sith during Order 66, when we, shaw, when we saw all of the Jedi being wiped out, they cut to a bunch of different backgrounds, and there was one with a Jedi walking through this world with these giant kind of like purple flowers. And I was like, okay, that's interesting, but it also looks like a video game cutscene. It doesn't, like, yeah, we, the, these movies feel a little bit more lived and a little bit more authentic because we recognize those environments. Yes, we spend a lot of time on a desert world, but you know what? I never thought that this world, I never forgot that it wasn't Tatooine just because it's covered in sand because I thought early on they distinguished it by making that Star Destroyer graveyard. It gave it a different character. Yes, we're on a planet with a lot of snow, but it's not like Hoth. We're not. That doesn't remind me of Hoth, except for the fact that Han is wearing a similar jacket. It's because it's a different atmosphere. It's a different feel. So there's I, a there's a. Fa- I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Um, there's a famous quote, and I think I, I may get the director wrong, so if I do, my apologies. But uh, Martin Scorsese said it, and that's how I know about it. Where apparently John Ford uh, was out in loca- on location, and they were like in a desert somewhere, and one of his like production crew guys was there, and they looked around, and there wasn't like there literally was nothing to look at, and <laughs> the production guy said something like. What can we shoot here? And John Ford said, We're, we can shoot the most interesting thing in the world, the human face. And I, I think that's just – that was true in John Ford's time. It's true now. Yeah. I mean, great new – look, I would love to see interesting new worlds in the next two movies. I would love it. But this movie was meant to bring us characters that you genuinely care about, that you can build a multi-trillion dollar franchise on. And they did that. And that's hard to do. 
A lot of other movie franchises will tell you how hard that is. George Lucas will tell you how hard that is. And they did it. And so I'm, I'm completely okay with I, – I wouldn't have cared if it was Tatooine. I would have been like, all right, fine. It's great that it's Jakku. But I, I it's just – I'm like I care about Rey. And so that I- is – that's the thing. That's why anybody cares about any movie. Um, I care about the four, the 12 jurors and 12 angry men. They're in <laughs> one room in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. It, it just – great visuals are nice, but they're – their decoration they're not the main course and you know i i don't take it as a lack of imagination on abrams's part i just take it as it was like look let's let's do the important stuff first and the important stuff is the characters right and i completely agree i i was happy with 90 percent of the new characters that they they introduced and the ones that i was supposed to care about i really really did i loved mm-hmm. ray i really enjoyed finn i got a kick out of watching bb8 and poe i was really really happy with kylo ren he was really the only villain that did anything for me i mean i thought captain phasma was underused i think everybody agrees with that and I thought, I'm sure Gwendolyn Christie agrees with yeah, I thought General Hux was kind of annoying and Snoke, I don't really care about him yet, but that's fine because the only villain I had to be interested in was Kylo Ren, and I really, really was. Uh, so it was, in terms of the new characters, I, I, I bought into all of them, and I still say like the first half an hour of this movie or so, until Ray and Finn leave Jakku on the Millennium Falcon, which is before we meet Han Solo and Chewie or any of the established characters, when it's just the new people, that is still some of my favorite Star Wars I have ever seen. Yep. So they did it. They sold that. Uh, and, and coupling with the new characters and with the locations, something that I really, really bought, and I didn't think it would mean that much, but it really does... The choice of costumes for the characters, they're so distinct. Like Rey, yeah, she's got the same outfit the whole time, but it looks like a Star Wars outfit, but it's also different because they're not all wearing the same thing. Like Finn's jacket, which was Poe's jacket, and there's memes and jokes about that going around, but it's it was a look that felt realistic, but it also you can see that outline and you know that that's Finn. You can see the the X-Wing fighter outfit and you know that that is Poe. But if you go back to the prequels, you can take the, you know, the, a shot of a Jedi Knight's body, cut off the head and the hands, and I can't tell you if I'm looking at Obi-Wan or Qui-Gon or Mace Windu or some alien sitting on the council, because they yeah, all look I, the same. Yeah, when Mace Windu buys it, I... I... You, I feel nothing. I, again, I don't. I don't want to get it. I don't mean to bash the prequels sure, or whatever yeah. and stuff like that. It's just, it, it's just to me the whole reason we watch movies or, or any sort of entertainment really is to have a story told to us in some level or on television. It's characters you invest in, and that's what it's there for. And if I, as I watched the Force Awakens four times in the space of like two weeks, I just I'm like I'm on the journey with these people, and that is the most important thing. And uh, they did it. So, what didn't work for you? What's like if you can narrow it down to one thing that, and it doesn't have to be the most important thing, but just give us an example. What was one thing that you didn't like about the movie? I do wish that the plot beats hadn't been quite so like 
even as I saw the movie the first time, I was very conscious of this is this, this is this. Oh, we're in Mass Kanata. Oh, Mass Kanata Yoda. Oh, Mass Kanata's castle is the the, the Mos Eisley Cantina. I, I I was a little too aware of the duplication of the plot beats, and I would have liked maybe some of the beats to be just even rearranged a little, just so they weren't so midpoint. Okay, now here's this guy or whatever. Um, but that was really. That was really it. I mean, you know, maybe Starkiller Base could have been, you know, not quite so Death Starry. Uh, but, uh, but the thing I didn't like, and I mentioned this on in the review, I mentioned this everywhere. Anybody will ask me. There absolutely needed to be a scene of Leia and Chewie commiserating over Han's death. Mm-hmm. There absolutely needed, and I cannot believe they didn't put that in the movie. That would have been fifteen seconds, no dialogue. I, I cannot believe they didn't put that in the movie. I would love to know, was it never in the script? Was it in the script and it got dropped at some point? But it, 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 when I watched the movie the fourth time and I watched Chewie walk by Leia after Han has been killed, I'm like, what is he doing? What is he doing? Why isn't he hugging Leia? Han's just been killed. So that that scene, if I was a trillionaire, I would hire those two actors and sets and shoot it myself and – insert it into the DVD because it, it absolutely needs to be there. That's the thing. The fact that he walks right by her yep. makes me think that they just forgot. Like that I don't think that was ever part of the story. If like, I ever had a like, yeah, yeah, if I ever had a chance to meet JJ Abrams, I would like if he did like an AMA or something, mm-hmm. I would ask him that scene. I would be like, dude, I love the movie, but I have to ask, why is there no scene like this in the movie? My biggest complaint is sort of piggybacking off of yours, having to do, well, not your original point of of seeing some of the same repeated plot points and threats, and a lot of it comes down to the Star Killer base, and again, that feels more like fan service than an organic part of the story, because the threat of the Star Killer, the first thing we see it do is destroy the planet that is the new seat of the New Republic. But because of story elements that were cut, we don't know what the New Republic is, so those deaths mean nothing to us. We also don't see how that affects the Resistance. We have to, we have to meet the storytellers a little bit more than halfway to figure out what that means for the galaxy at large. So that, the threat of the Starkiller base didn't mean as much, and I also think that unintentionally hijacks what the story really was because the plot is about trying to find Luke Skywalker. Like the, that map is the MacGuffin, but that's what's bringing these characters together. That's why they're on that journey. And then midway through the story, it's like, well, that's not our journey. The journey is actually, we got to stop the Starkiller base. And even though we address the fact that, Hey, R2 probably has the rest of this map. We can complete our journey. No, we're just going to table that for a minute and we're going to go deal with this other thing. So I wish I wish that had just been the headquarters, the, the planet of the First Order. That was their home world, and they had another reason to get there. Like Han and Finn, they had a reason to go to because they were going to rescue Rey. And there could have been another reason for the rebel pilots to show up there. Like if they actually addressed the fact that that uh, the the First Order had the rest of the map too. They were just looking for that missing piece. So... If the resistance had gone there with R2 to like have him jack in or something and steal their part of the map, and I'm I realize this is me being more prescriptive about like what was the story that I would have told if I was right, in right, right, and yeah. I don't I don't want to do that because I can do that ad nauseum. But I just felt like when I'm getting to that point, it's like yeah, 
okay, you're making this a, a planet-killing base because that's sort of what the galaxy has, but this isn't furthering the story. And I think it's evident because during the climax, it's not really that important whether or not Poe succeeds in destroying the oscillator thing. What's important is Rey versus Kylo Ren. Yep. And that's... I mean, when when you break down the finale of Return of the Jedi, which had multiple parts, we cared about each one of those. Each part was instrumental in the emotional climax of the movie. Would the Rebels succeed on Endor? Would the Rebels succeed in space? And would Luke succeed in the throne room? And in this case, it's like, eh, we care about one of these. The other one is incidental. We hope because they're the good guys, they pull it out, but... Yeah, there's no drill drama there. You're so certain they're going to do it that mm-hmm. yeah, you want to get back to the main, the yeah. main thing. Yeah, no, that, it's a valid. That's an absolutely valid criticism of it. Yeah. So, but I don't want to leave on a, a negative note. I did want to kind of leave thinking about good aspects of the film again, and I will mention that I, I think you already talked about it. But my favorite part in the movie might be the scene where Ray calls the lightsaber and she catches it, and she and Kylo Ren are both like sort of dumbfounded at that moment. And the classical musical cue, yep. the same thing that when yep. Luke was looking off at the double sons of Tatooine, I, like every time I see that movie, I, I want to stand up and applaud. You know, I want to like, you know, fist pump in the air and they just, <laughs> they did it. And I was like, this is great. So, yep. Yep. Uh, any other positive moments about the movie that you wanted to address before we stop? Uh, I just liked all the incidental stuff. I mean, I love that little when Ray is polishing her doodads and that weird Java guy with the <laughs> metal face comes and goes blah, 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 and just runs away. I love that. Like Star Wars, one of the great things about Star Wars, the first movie, is that it drops you into this world and you have to catch up. Mm-hmm. And all this movie can't do that because we're already so intimately familiar with the universe. But I like that there's just stuff that's unexplained. I love that. I mean, if you look at some of the other sci-fi films of the era – they go so far out of the way to establish the universe that you're just so bored. You know, it's like in the great year of 58, so you're like, oh, I'm so bored. This, this, this so Infin- uh, Force Awakens did a, a bit of that. And I, I like that they trust the audience for what they assume might be little kids. Yeah. It's just, there's just some weird stuff. And I like that there's just some weird stuff because that's what these, probably what these movies are. It's, you know, you're in alien worlds and I, I like that. I, that little guy, I love that little guy. I just mm-hmm. love that they just don't explain it and you never see him again and it, it's cool and I oh, I dig all that yeah. stuff. Absolutely. And me too. Th- those are always some of the things that I loved about the worlds of Star Wars. And when we get to Maz Kanata's castle in the middle of this movie, I know people are like, yeah, it's the same thing as the Mos Eisley Cantina. I don't care. I would spend two hours in either of those locations just mm-hmm. watching all of those people, watching all of those weird droids and aliens I was like, yeah, spend more time with these characters. Yep. Okay, listeners, we are going to take a short break to play a promo for another podcast. But after that, Rob will be back to talk about the original Star Wars action figures. Don't go away. In fact, I think we should record a promo about all the changes to the Fire and Water Podcast Network happening this year. What do you think, Rob? 
That's a great idea. We can mention the new folks joining the network and all the shows. I can talk about how we'll continue with our Aquaman and Firestorm show. And I want to be sure to plug my movie show, The Film and Water Podcast. What about you, Ryan? Oh, I think we should definitely record a promo. I'll mention how the Secret Origins podcast is joining the Fire and Water Network. And then I'll introduce my newly relaunched shows, Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, The Black Canary and Zatanna Podcast. Sound good to you, Chris? Absolutely. I'll mention the show I record with my lovely wife, Cindy, Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We should probably also mention the Power Records podcast Rob and I do, too. What about you, Siskoid? Well, sure. I can talk about my ensemble show, The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, and my new upcoming shows about the DC Comics crossover event, Invasion, and yes, Oh Hot Moo. Shag, you think we should mention Hero Points, the most occasional DC Heroes role-playing podcast? Sure, why not? And I can talk about Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and mention my new upcoming show, Justice League International, Wahaha podcast. Now, here's what I'm thinking. When we record, I'm fine being the first person talking. I can explain all the changes to the Wait network. a minute, wait a minute, wait. Why do you get to start the promo? I'm just as much of a part of this as you are. It was my idea to create the Fire and Water podcast back in 2011. I should start off this promo. I kind of think it should be one of the new voices who kick off the promo. It'll shock the listener into attention if it's not Rob or Shag. Cindy and I make up two people in the network. Plus, you know, ladies first. So we should be the first people talking on the promo. Ben voyons donc. You have what? got uh, what? to no, so well. cannot be Enough! Stop it. You're like boys with toys. Let's just make this simple. We can tell the folks at home the Fire and Water Podcast Network is growing in 2016. Several new shows are joining the network. We'll have a new dedicated website, a Twitter account, and Facebook page. And folks will be able to subscribe to each individual show or all of them. See? Now, was that so hard? Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available soon through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fireandwaterpodcast.com. Seriously, Shag, you had to get the last word, didn't you? We are back, and we are talking about the original line of Star Wars action figures produced by Kenner in the late 1970s and early 1980s. Now, Rob, I firmly believe that besides the movies... The biggest imprint Star Wars left on our collective pop culture was in the realm of action figures and toys. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I would say the toys are, are in terms of the cultural impact Star Wars had. The toys are like thirty five percent of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they would say it's like a sixty forty split. I, I sometimes I wonder if it's like a chicken and egg thing. Now, like part of the reason <laughs> that other sci fi franchises just did not gain a foothold is because Kenner and Star Wars had hit kids in boat hit kids in the theater and then at home mm-hmm. and other Star Wars other software franchises couldn't get off the ground in either direction. They the movies weren't as good and then the toy lines. I mean, I don't know whether maybe the toy lines weren't as good because the movies weren't as good. I just don't know the, the realism of that. But it's like they're really like not only did no other sci-fi films really take off the way Star Wars did post Star Wars so did the toy lines. I mean, there were toy lines for Battlestar Galactica, for Buck Rogers, for Flash Gordon, for Star Trek The Motion Picture, for The Black Hole, and none of them had the impact the Star Wars figures had. You know, it's it, so it's it's the the toys are intricately linked mm-hmm. with the legend of Star Wars, and they always will be that way because they're just so prevalent. They were so huge. Yeah, and it's certainly being a child growing up in the '80s, it felt like. The things that I liked were things that I could experience in one medium and then come home and play with toys of. 
Whether they were, you know, the Saturday morning cartoons or after school shows or things like that. It was, if they didn't have a toy line, why was I wasting my time with it? (laughs) Uh, Where's the Kramer versus Kramer line? Come on. (laughs) But certainly Star Wars paved the way. Star Wars felt like it was the first and it was it was certainly one of the first toys because I had an older brother who was collecting them before me, so I kind of inherited all of that. I think the movies uh, first, and then the toys and action figures are kind of right there behind them. And then in other kind of weird cultural ways, other sorts of licensing, the music kind of exists on its own. You can go to half the football games, half the high school football games in the country and hear marching bands play the Imperial March. (laughs) <laughs> that, that just has sort of become a thing on its own. So, folks, we're going to talk about the toys a little bit. Now, I will preface this by saying we are not going to go into the history of the toys. If you want a thorough and complete rundown of how Kenner approached these toys and the impact that they had, check out the movie Plastic Galaxy. Uh, you can find it right now. I believe it's available on Hulu or Hulu+. Plus. It's very fun, very informative. It'll hit you right in your nostalgic feels. It, and it's too damn short. <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. So it, rather than approaching this from like the wide view historical lens, let's look at our, our very sort of subjective view. How did you come into the world of Star Wars toys? Well, like the movie, I, you know, of course, like you, I was a kid and I saw the movie. Um, you saw them much later, but I saw them in 77 and I was like, Give me Star Wars toys. And there were no toys available. So for Christmas, I got the empty box thing, the whole certificate. And you got the stand with the little back cardboard display with uh, the little pegs for the little feet for all your characters. And the promise that you were going to get figures later on. Now, I don't remember whether I got them in the mail like that uh, because I have, you know, very vivid memories of buying them all in, in toy stores. But I remember having that stand. And I had I had virtually everything. My parents, I think I was probably pretty easy to buy for because I was like Star Wars and superheroes. That's it. You know, and once Star Wars hit, it, there was just so much Star Wars to get that, um, you know, I had the original 12. I had the later figures I had. I still remember to this day. I've had, you know, a million experiences since then. But I still remember living in our house in Philadelphia and my dad and I on a weekend. My mom was working and my dad needed to get stuff done around the house or something. And he bought me the Star Wars Cantina playset. Nice. And I put you have to put that together, and it has all like the doors open up if you step on. So you had to put all these rubber bands in there, and I just put it all together myself. I still remember where I sat in our house. I mean, that's not the house we lived in after that, so that's two houses ago. But I still remember sitting there putting it all together, and I had all the character came. It came with the four aliens. You know, it's like I I, I had the Millennium Falcon, which is the greatest toy ever made. Period. That's it. Over. Uh, I had the land speeder. I remember, again, living in Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, we had – they were row homes. Um, And the way the row homes work is like the garage is on, of course, ground level. Mm -hmm. But then the the living room is one kind of floor up from that. So your your patio is a good eight or nine feet off the ground. And so then you have your patio and then next to it is your garage and then next to that is the neighbor's garage and then next to that is their patio. So there's like this sort of Snake River Canyon thing going from one patio to the next. And I remember 
revving my land speeder off of my patio and try to make it onto the neighbor's patio. And it never made it because you can never get enough lift. But it would always smash into the, the cement wall and I'd run down and grab it and try again. And that damn thing lasted like a thousand of those smashes. So it was a well-made toy. The Star Wars toys were just such a part of it. I had every figure. I had every single figure. I used to cross them off on the back of the card. I sent in proof of purchases. I mean, I just totally in it. The target market for Kenner, I was that kid. Do you remember which vehicles you had besides the Millennium Falcon, besides the Landspeeder? The, I had the X-Wing. I absolutely had the X-Wing. I got it for Christmas. I remember putting on on the uh, decals. I had a TIE Fighter. Uh, I had, for Empire, the Troop Transport, which does not exist in the movie. Uh, <laughs> it's only in the comic. But it's like the big gray thing, and you put the Stormtroopers on the yep, side, yep, and you yep. drive them around. Yep. What else did I have? I had the 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 the, the Adat. I had the the ATST. I know that drives Kyle Benning crazy. They call it the Adat. <laughs> I had all those. I had the Snowspeeder. I love the Snowspeeder. Snowspeeder is such a boss vehicle. Yep. Uh, I think I really had like I know you know I don't know if Frank listens to this. He's going to call me Richie Rich again. But I think I think I had like pretty much all the vehicles that I kind of asked for because I again I I didn't. I was I didn't go outside, you know. I was, <laughs> my parents didn't need to invest in sporting equipment, so uh, I was just like, you know what, just get me a snowspeeder, man, and that's that's I'll be happy with that. And I think that's pretty much anytime it was a Star Wars thing, I, I got it. Yeah, I so as I mentioned, my my brother was collecting them first, so you know by the time I was old enough to have any of the toys, they, I think the line had almost stopped. And I, I was trying to think because I remember I was trying to think of the vehicles like I I remember we had some of the bigger ones. I remember we had the Millennium Falcon. Of course, by the time I was old enough to play with it myself, it was just a shell. Like, <laughs> I think it was completely. What a piece of, of junk! <laughs> exactly. I think it was completely stripped. Like we only had the one central piece of landing gear that gear that you could use <laughs> as like a handle to hold and fly. Um, and maybe like the blue cockpit like seat inside <laughs> everything else like it was open it was like cutting oh yeah it was it, it was a piece of junk but i know we had that i know we had the atat and we had the snow speeder i'm sure my brother probably had an x-wing or a tie fighter but i couldn't really think of any of the other vehicles that we might have had like just uh, my my memory for that time was too too foggy. We we did have a whole lot of the toys. We had a lot of the action figures, and most of them were either destroyed or sold off or gotten rid of. I have distinct memories though of what toys I was allowed to play with because being so much younger and having a tendency to destroy the things that my brother loved, uh, he would he would limit what toys that I could play with. <laughs> so, but because of that, we we had like duplicates of some things. Like I remember we had two IG88s. Sure, why not? And uh, so he would have, like, he would play his game or whatever with IG88 chasing Han Solo and Princess Leia, and he was calling them Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor. Basically, <laughs> basically playing out the last scene from Terminator with IG88 as a stand in for <laughs> the Terminator after, after the fire had melted off Arnold Schwarzenegger's skin. Did he do the awkward scene of Han Solo and Princess Leia go to the hotel room and they make the future with Kylo Ren? Did he do that scene too? I'm sure he did because I don't know how else I would have learned about sex (laughs) if it wasn't for that. (laughs) But So I I remember him playing that and I was like, 
okay, well, I've got one version of Luke and, uh, and Princess Leia. I'll have my IG-88 chasing them. And oh yeah, <laughs> that's they push super imaginative, though. I gotta say, that's really imaginative. I, I guess, I guess. And then I know I never got to play with C three PO and R two D two. I had the Death Star droid and R five D four. They were my off brand, off color <laughs> surrogates for the every- coin advance of the droid world. <laughs> exactly. But to this day, I love those characters. Those are some of my favorite oh, yeah, droid yeah. designs. Like I love the Death Star droid with its weird insectoid head. And I was like, yeah, I'll play with those. They're just as good as C three PO and R two D two. One of them's kind of reddish orange. I like that color more than blue. Yeah, this is perfect. There you I, was, go. I was all in for it. So those are some of my memories of them. Now, this past Christmas, I traveled back and saw my parents, and my dad was cleaning out the attic of a whole bunch of crap, and he said, I've got some boxes up there, like stuff that was mine. And I was like, really? I don't remember storing anything up there. But I crawled up into the attic, which is always dangerous because (laughs) adventures with my family around the holidays tend to look a lot like Latin National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. (laughs) Like my father has opened the attic door and had it come down and knock him unconscious. He, he has stepped through the insulation and gone now. Like oh, the wacky hijinks. Exactly. Right. But, so I made the trek up to the attic, and I found this box of old vintage Star Wars figures oh, in geez. horrible shape. <laughs> and I, I think some of these were originals, but some of them I think I may have like got like when I first started going to comic book stores and finding like old old Star Wars toys like in Ziploc bags. If I had a few extra bucks, I would buy them. Um, so some of these might I might have acquired uh, later, but I went through and I brought the box back with me. There were twenty eight figures. Uh, some of them were duplicates, but the ones that were still up there that I had, I had the Death Star droid and R5-D4. I still have those old ones beat to hell, but they're still there. For some reason, three versions of the Sand Person, of the Tusken okay. Raider. All right. Three copies of it. And none of these have any of their gear, hardly. Like, none of their robes or the weapons or anything. Got a version of Han Solo from Hoth. All right. Now, yeah, the blue jacket, right? Yep. Yeah. Now, this version... And I kind of have a memory of this. He is like blasted with white paint. And I have this memory of my brother, I one of us like taking like a can of spray paint and just like like misting in front of him to try and make it look like he was in the snowstorm. Very good, very imaginative. And the effect works. It looks like he just came in and he's covered in snow. Like after they blew up the probe droid. The Daily Boys were very imaginative young young men. We did. Um, a Princess Leia from Bespin. All right, um, right, sure. Two One B, the medical droid without the hose thing that goes to his of face. Of course, yeah. Um, one IG eighty eight that is missing an arm. Um, a copy of the Hoth Rebel soldier. Two versions of the Hoth Rebel Commander with the the mustache, the uh, John Ratzenberger one. John Ratzenberger, <laughs> the closest you're going to get to a Cheers line. <laughs> oh, that that breaks my heart. I know. So. I'm sorry. Um, the ATAT driver, the ATAT commander, the General Veers guy whose like nose is chipped off on my version. <clears throat> then a bunch from Return of the Jedi because, of course, General Maydeen. Oh, everybody's favorite. Prune face. Fruit with his, with yeah. his original gun. I don't have the cloak, but I've got his original brown rifle that doesn't look at all like a Star Wars gun. <laughs> Two versions of the Endor Rebel Commando. Uh, Chief Chirpa, of course, got to have an Ewok, <laughs> with, with the brown hood. Low Grey, another Ewok, because of course. 
And then from Jabba's Palace, I had Bib Fortuna. Oh, yeah. The Rancor Keeper without the hood. It's just the fat, bald guy. <clears throat> um, two Gamorrean guards. I love the Gamorrean yeah. guard. Weakway, Nikto, and two versions of Klaatu. Okay. So I still had a bunch of these for some reason. That's and a good haul, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm probably most especially proud of the fact that I still have those two droids, the Death Star droid and the R5-D4. I am going to actually put those up somewhere on display, just for, again, for the nostalgic feel of it. Has it ever been explained in some... It has to have been, because every piece of Star Wars arcana has been covered. But I've never seen it anywhere. Why Kenner never made a Grand Moff Tarkin in the original run? I cannot imagine. Like I, The prevailing wisdom that I always heard, which doesn't excuse because it wouldn't work the excuse wouldn't work for star wars anyway because they they broke the rule I, you know i had heard a, with a lot of toy lines that they for the longest time they didn't think that villains sold as well which is why they didn't make as many right no now, i get that but like but but why do death star commander and not Gramoff target why make i, a, I know that's why it, that's yeah. why that excuse doesn't even make sense because they made no shortage of bad guys for star yeah. wars and I, I can't imagine it was a likeness thing. I can't imagine they couldn't do something else. It's, I, I really have no idea. Yeah, and it has to be in some book somewhere why they never did one. But I've just never been able to find it. And it's like, especially because like the last, the last wave of the figures when it was like the power of the force ones, they went back and they made yeah, like versions of yeah. characters from the older movies. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't until like 1997 or 1998 that we got a Grand Moff right. figure. Right, right, right. I I couldn't tell you. I, I that's certainly probably the largest omission. I, I'm kind of fascinated that it's just like uh, that. I just haven't been able to find that piece of information. Yeah. Like, you know, like just like every piece of Star Wars fandom <laughs> has been covered so many in so many directions, and just I mean, and I mean, good lord, I've seen prototypes for Lumpy, and. <laughs> I've had that's in my life. I, I've been able to look at those, and yet Grand Moff Tarkin, no, no. Oh, he's only the main villain of the friggin' movie. Like, what? Like, what a strange thing. So, yeah, it's it, again. It must be in a book that I just have not seen. But see, Plastic Galaxy. I need to make a second movie. I exactly. Need to do a follow up about that. The search for Tarkin. Search for Tarkin. Done. <laughs> Well, while I was digging up all these old things, uh, these old toys, and kind of thinking about getting into that nostalgic zone of what they, they meant to me, I dug up an old book that I got in – an old book. I got this in 1992 um, <laughs> when I really started going into uh, another – my sort of second Star Wars phase. The one that felt like it was mine that I didn't inherit because I was just a child wanting to play with whatever was in front of me. Like – for me, I, I like I am of that little generation. Like when when the expanded universe started in the early '90s, that felt like me getting on the ground floor of something. That with the movies, they were they were always sort of already there. Right. But in 1992, I got this book. It's called Star Wars: From Concept to Screen to Collectible, uh, by Stephen J. Sansweet. Of course. The the cover is a image of Darth Vader's mask, and I believe it's a picture of the Darth Vader carrying case. Oh, uh, and I remember I had that thing. I had that one and the three PO one, um, but it's it's weird. It's kind of split into four quadrants, like alternating black and gold. But I was flipping through it because I always loved this book because there was a double page pla- a double splash page that showed the entire line of figures standing up. I think it was from like the back of one of the cards 
where you could see like all ninety something. Oh figures man, I used to love those in photos. Five rows, yeah, I, I love this, and I would just I would look at this like, which figures do I remember mm-hmm, having? Which mm-hmm, figures mm-hmm. like, which figures could I buy if there was some such a thing as eBay in my life? <laughs> um, but I was flipping through this again. And I came to this little Star Wars factoid printed on page 71 of this book. In 1978, the first full year that Kenner offered Star Wars toys, it sold 42,322,500 of them for a total of more than $100 million, making it the most successful movie-related toy line up to then. Far and away, the best sellers were the mini action figures, which came in 12 varieties. Again, this for the 1978 line. Kenner sold 26106500 considering the quantity and the original price of $1.96 each. It's amazing that collectors are now paying up to $100 a piece for some of the first figures mint on their cards. Yeah. You know, it's, fu- it's funny you say that. $100 in 1992, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No. It's funny. I just I wanted to mention this because it, it's perfectly a, a perfect time. Uh, I was so into uh, post Force Awakens uh, right after seeing it. I was so into the nostalgia that I was like, you know what? I would love to have a Star Wars figure on card again. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before on other shows that if I was a millionaire, that would be the one thing I'd collect. I've kind of stopped collecting anything anymore. You know, part of the money, part of it's just space, and part of it's my age. I'm just kind of like, yeah, I don't need to own things anymore. But if I had a ton of money and I did money to burn, I would collect original Star Wars figures on the cards. That that would be fun to go back and collect those. So I was like, you know what? I'm really into Star Wars right now. I'm deep diving. I would love to own just one figure on the card again. It doesn't have to be mint, but just one figure on the card, still in the bubble. I don't even care what figure it is. That would just be fun to have one that I had when I was a kid. So I went to enter eBay. Enter Cloud Car Pilot. Yeah, enter Cloud Car Pilot. So I went to eBay, and I'm like, let me just – so I do a search, and it was like, you know, what's – Star Wars, Kenner, MOC, buy it now, you know, just what's available. And there were some figures – first of all, the, the figures were like the worst figures. It was like <laughs> Jabba's, Jabba's droid that tortures. You know, they, are you yeah, are a yep. mythical droid. Are you not – you know, that, that thing. <laughs> And it was like so. It was like the Z-level characters on cards that looked like they had been run over by sand crawlers, and it was like the cheapest figure was like seventy-five dollars. <laughs> and I just gave up. I was like, "All right, never mind." Like this, this, you know, this is beyond a lark. These figures are so expensive, and it made me kind of sad a little that like you couldn't find one Star Wars figure on the card in in you know non-bullet-ridden shape. For forty bucks, uh, you know, it kind of, but but that's the level of the collectability, which is amazing, considering that there were they sold so many uh, that that they are that they're just they're like gold pieces now. They're just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. The cheapest drop might be like something like uh, like a comic convention. Every time I go to one, there's usually a there's usually a vendor booth with a bunch of original Star Wars material. I've never looked that close enough to see the prices, but. <laughs> Do I really want to pay sixty dollars for the imperial dignitary? I don't know. Maybe I do. <laughs> I guess I could pretend it's a David Bowie action figure. I don't know. I, I, mean, I guess I would need your older brother to get involved in that to come with some more imaginative stories. We would have to. We'll, we'll reinvent the whole the whole personality of this figure. <laughs> Spray paint him. Just just mist him 
I love that idea. I mean, I'm certainly not the only kid. I know I'm not. Not the who froze his hand solo figure in blocks of ice, <laughs> <laughs> pretended it was carbonite. I am not the only one to do that. It's <laughs> good, good. <laughs> oh, okay, well, Robert, did you have any other thoughts or comments on the original Star Wars toys? Uh, just, they really were beautifully made. They were the, you know, I mean, other toy lines were, were good, too. I don't mean to disparage other, you know, I and I had other toys. I had Battlestar Galactica, and I had Flash Gordon, and I had Star Trek. I mean, I had them all. It wasn't like I was so exclusively Star Wars, but the, the complete, I mean, people make fun of the Kenner toys because clearly making toys of characters that were in the movie for, for three seconds, hashtag Death Star Droid, you know, like, it, it, on one hand, it's very cynical, because you're just like, oh, you guys are really reaching. But as a kid, that's what made them so special, is that you really could get the entire universe, except for Grand Moff Tarkin, uh, you really could get the entire universe in your hands, in your home. And as a kid, that's an incredibly powerful thing you know and it allowed you to go on these flights of fancy again making ig88 you know the terminator or whatever <laughs> and i mean i used to i used to i had the superpowers figures i used to um get the uh emperor's royal guard involved with them because he looked like a supervillain to me he, he just does. had that look so i was like okay his height differential bothered me a little bit i just was like oh he's just short um but but there was really something quite magical that that, that just they left no corner untouched by the Star Wars line, and that that's really what made them. And the the packaging was really brilliant. I mean, for many years, toy lines were the, the you were never supposed to package toy lines in black. Mm-hmm. That that was like a no no. That was like they like they had market research that said kids won't buy toy lines covered in you know black packaging. Well, Star Wars was like screw that, mm-hmm. you know. We're you know so the packaging was really beautiful, and the thrill of the hunt was something just. It was a large part of my childhood, you know, going to fun, going into random stores and being like, oh, does this place have toys? Ooh, they do. And of course, you know, in the 70s, if you were in a, a, a store that had toys, they probably had Star Wars figures because why else carry toys? You know, if you're going to nowadays, like you carry toys, you know, or in the 50s, you had a rubber ball. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. like that's the basic toy. And Star Wars were, were that all over the place. And so, yeah, it was fun finding figures in random bits. And again, I, I had Boba Fett and the mailing away for things. And the proof of packages, that whole thing, like the mail away figures, that was so much fun. They really made it fun. I mean, they did it because they're making money. Sure. But but they made they did it really, really well. And the the, the, the toy line is as revolutionary to toys as the movies are to the, to, to, to film. And, you know, it's it's an amazing conflagration of, of things. You'll never see it again. In a way, uh, Star Wars was very much my gateway drug into a lot of other fandoms. Um, and certainly because of the toys, that was my family's entry point into G.I. Joe, which became mm. probably the defining, like, uh, the defining thing for me in the 80s was collecting G.I. Joes, and we first started getting those early figures to as an army builder set for the Endor Rebel Trooper. I'm not kidding, <laughs> because they were other things that looked green, and then after that, we were kind of like, you know what, these are actually more fun to play with than the Endor Rebel Trooper, because they bend more, and we can do more stuff with these. So that how that... That's what made me into a GI Joe fan, and that just, the uh, refrigerator pe- refrigerator Perry GI Joe figure was really good at helping rebuild the Ewok villages. <laughs> he would have been great in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Rob, before you go, I do want to invite you 
into taking part in the galactic questionnaire that I have come up with for every episode. <laughs> this is like the inside the actor's studio. Exactly. It's just like that. By Bernard Pivot. Is that who the guy <laughs> came up with? I love that you can pull that name out of your out of your uh, well, out of your <laughs> head, let's say. <laughs> so yeah, so a, a new feature to be in every episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. I've got seven questions for you. Rob, would you rather drive Luke Skywalker's land speeder from Star Wars A New Hope? Or Ray's speeder from The Force Awakens. Oh, the land speeder from Star of the New Hope. That I, that was that's such a boss ride. That's right out of American Graffiti. So yeah, I would like a, a hover car. Heck, you can't beat that. Classic Imperial Stormtrooper or First Order Stormtrooper. I actually kind of like the new version. I like that design. That little thing with the extra mouthpiece or whatever. I dig it. I think it's sleek and meaner looking. Uh, I, and uh, no, I, I dig those new guys. Me too. I agree with that. Uh, three, would you rather have a lightsaber or Boba Fett's jetpack? Lightsaber. I didn't even need to – there was no second choice. <laughs> lightsaber. Would you rather live on Tatooine or Dagobah? Oh, Tatooine. I can deal with the heat. I, the swamp would drive me nuts. <laughs> and all those creatures and there's creepy trees where you run into like your duplicate of yourself. No, nah, there's too too much crazy crap going on in Dagobah. I'll take Tatooine. All right. Question five, not counting Boba Fett, who is the coolest bounty hunter introduced in The Empire Strikes Back? Oh, I love Bosk. I love that he is mouthing off to <laughs> one of the Empire guys. You don't know what he says, obviously, because he's like, bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> but I love that he overhears the bit about we don't need their scum and he says something. I dig that. Like, plus, he's cool looking. Mm-hmm. Six, would you rather go on a date with Princess Leia or Carrie Fisher? Oh, Carrie Fisher. She'd be a blast. Oh, my God. I would never be able to keep up with her. I would, she she would still be drinking at four in the morning and I would be passed out. But she's, no, she's a rip. I, if she can bring Gary, Gary Fisher with her, I, I love it. She's a I, – that interview she did with Good Morning America where she just, she made me laugh so hard. She's She is a rip. I love Carrie Fisher. She – Carrie Fisher and Daisy Ridley were on the Graham Norton show, which I think if you can find that on – Oh, YouTube. I've seen a clip of it. Right, yeah. right. Or she's Carrie, Carrie Fisher talks about guys that went up to her and about they, her, and basically they, uh, tells Daisy yeah. Ridley, "This is what you have to look for." Yeah, to. this is what you have to look for. Well, fantasize. That's a very <laughs> sanitized version of what that story was. Sure. Um, last question for the questionnaire: If you had the Force, would you be pulled to the light side or the dark side? Oh, I'd be the light side. I don't – the dark side doesn't – you know. Yeah, the light – you can do so much on the light side that the dark side – like, to, how much more power do you need? Come on, you know? It's not like the dark side you could do a whole lot more. It's You still get to do really cool stuff, and you get to live forever. After you die, you get to come back as a force ghost. Who doesn't want that? No matter what crimes you commit, you murder children. All you have to do is do a deathbed conversion, which is what I plan on, and you get you have, you have get to live forever. It's perfect. Good for you. Well, Rob, thank you very much for being my guest on this first episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. Where can people find you online, or what other podcasts should people check out if they want to hear more from you? Well, uh, of course, I'm part of the Fire and Water Network, which is this part of the show, is is thankfully part of it as well. Uh, that's the Fire and Water Podcast, the Film and Water Podcast, the Who's Who Definitive Podcast of this universe, and the Power Records Podcast. And I pop up here and there on other shows like this one and other things. And so, yeah, that's basically where you can find me. And online, 
Uh, AquamanShrine.net, and as I mentioned, I am the sort of, I don't know if I'm the, again, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I am the film critic for 13thDimension.com, where I write a column called Real Retro Cinema, where I talk about old movies that have some comic book connection in one way or the other. Thank you once again for being on the show, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. It's the Star Wars Creature Cantina that you put together. Action figures each sold separately. You can make them move on revolving discs with the action lever. You can even make them fall. Gotcha, Hammerhead. Got him. I told you not to follow me, Guido. You owe us money, Han Solo. You're not going to collect this time. Wow, what a weird place. Kenner's new Star Wars Creature Cantina. Action figures sold separately. One last thing before I go, I did end up seeing The Force Awakens again the night Rob and I talked, so at this point I have seen it seven times. <laughs> You're welcome, Disney. That is all for this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. Remember, this show is part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. That means if you want to follow this show, you can subscribe to Give Me Those Star Wars on iTunes, or you can subscribe to the whole Fire & Water Network feed, which will give you a ton of great shows, like Rob's Film & Water podcast, Supermates with Chris and Cindy Franklin, Lonely Hearts with Siskoid and the Canadians, and a whole lot more, plus a new episode of this show every other week. Feedback for this podcast can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the new show. You can tell me what you thought of The Force Awakens, or share any of your memories with the original Kenner Star Wars toys. Part of the theme music for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. <laughs>